Welcome to the Philip Wiley Show. Take a look behind the curtain of professional hacking and hear compelling discussions with guests from diverse backgrounds who share a common curiosity and passion for challenges and their job. And now, here's your host, offensive security professional, educator, mentor, and author, Philip Wiley. Hello and welcome to another episode. Today, I'm excited to have Lily joining. Lily and I met at Atlantic Security Conference back Several months ago, it was my first time speaking in Canada. I'd been tr- submitting CFPs and never got accepted and finally got accepted there. And it was kind of interesting while I was there. Uh, a friend of mine, Julian Richard, which is a, a previous guest on the podcast, we ran into each other for the first time. And I was kind of commenting because I usually go to conferences and see a lot of people I know. And there, there were some people, but not a whole lot. And I told Julian, I says, said, I definitely got to make more Canadian friends. And he introduced me to people. And fortunately, one of them was Lily, along with some other amazing folks. So I came away with a lot more Canadian friends, which was which is awesome. And so uh, I got to see Lily's talk there, which was really amazing. We'll get into more of the details of that. I was super impressed. Out of all the talks there, I was probably more impressed. And one of the other talks was pretty impressive. But uh, just just your skills and knowledge and what you do is, is really just amazing. And so uh, thank you for joining today. Yeah, thanks, Phil. I uh, I really uh, thought your wrestling background uh, when I met you there at the conference was super cool. Well, my uh, my man, he's um, well, we're pretty well. We're technically married legally, common law, but um, uh, he is a big fan of wrestling. Undertaker. He has like a gazillion like <laughs> replica belts <laughs> downstairs. Oh, <very> cool. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I, I shared with you. I never don't know if I shared with you at the conference or not, but I went to school with the undertaker. Yeah. I think you did mention that. Uh, <laughs> it's Mark Holloway. If I remember the name correctly, Cal- is that correct? Cal- Calloway? Calloway. Yeah. Calloway. Yeah. 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 So yeah. my apologies. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> my daddy's li- listened to this anyway. So <laughs> it would be kind of cool if he did, but yeah. We haven't spoken in a long time. It would be interesting to, t- interesting to talk to him at some point. So uh, before we get too far into it, why don't you introduce yourself for our guests? Uh, yep. So my name is Lily Chalaposki. Um, you may know me from the Twitter space as Cerberus. Um, I am a malware reverse engineer working on mostly criminal uh, malware, so e-crime malware. Uh, in particular, um, and I've versed uh, many different malware families from Redline Stealer to uh, Solar Marker to uh, I can't really count at this point how many, but um, I also do live uh, Twitch streams uh, in regards to reverse engineering malware. I write several open source projects uh, as well. Uh, to aid in the detection and extraction of intelligence from malware uh, that I have on uh, GitHub, some more popular than others, of course. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Oh yeah, and I play play guitar on my streams too, if you enjoy that. So oh, cool. Yeah, and blog and all that stuff, <laughs> and YouTube. <laughs> so so electric or acoustic guitar. Uh, I mainly gravitate towards the electric um, because oh, cool. it's easier on the fingers. Yeah. 
very cool. I have to check check that out. Pretty interesting to. I'll think I can't recall any other musicians I've had on the podcast, but very cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's a uh, kind of half of my origin story, I guess. <laughs> very cool. Speaking speaking of origin stories, if you wouldn't mind sharing your hacker origin story, kind of you know how you got started all this, and just kind of uh, what you've done throughout your career. Yeah, sure. I can I can mention how I got started. Um, so pretty much uh, early on, um, I went to university. I was going to be interested in uh, computer science, right? Which is pretty much what I was looking to get into. Um, what sparked that was I would play some pranks on library computers and then watch people throw their mouse and keyboard around in absolute frustration. I got quite a kick out of that. It wasn't anything super nefarious. It was just uh, being a little bit mischievous, I suppose. And I used to as well, uh, what kind of got me into it was programming on the, I don't know if you remember these TI-83 graphing calculators yeah. um, from years ago, um, I was so sick and tired of, you know, solving quadratic roots um, for math that I just decided to write my own program <laughs> in uh, the graphing calculator to solve both imaginary and real roots or whatever, right? Just quadratic roots. Um, and I would share this with people um, over link cable. People were asking for it. So just do not use it during the test or I could be a big trouble. <laughs> um, look up during the, the test, guess who's using it? Well, pretty well everybody uh, to <laughs> verify their work during during the test. And I'm like, oh. But I had to look up and try not to, you know, um, make it look like I'm looking at what other people are doing because that could be considered, of course, uh, cheating <laughs> in academics, right? <laughs> but I was just hoping that no one was using it, but everyone was using it, which is just um, crazy. From there, then I applied to go to university, of course. Um, when I grew up, um, the main thing was you got to go to university, right? Um, go to university, get a job, and you're going to be successful. That's it. But this was hard pushed um, when I was, um, you know, growing up. From there, I moved uh, and into the um, program for uh, computer science. And um, during the first year, I just was not doing well in discrete mathematics at all. Um, super bad. So like failing bad, like below 50% we're talking. Like like small numbers, not single digits. Luckily, I still had, you know, at least two digits there, <laughs> right? But not super well. Um, from there, I did have an encounter with a professor who, uh, you know, stated, if you're not going to be good at discrete mathematics, then you're not going to succeed uh, with computers. And so I took that advice from, you know, an older, more experienced individual is, you know, I better listen to what this guy is saying or I'm going to be in big trouble here. Um, so I do that, right? And I switch majors into 
music. So um, mainly focused on audio recording and uh, studio production, things like that. Um, so I uh, jump into that. I ask them, there are opportunities in here. We're good. Things are going to be great. Things are going to be good for me after this. Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, you know, I did the whole thing. I took um, some classical musical training and, and started doing guitar, like classical guitar pieces and things like that uh, at that time. And then I graduated. We're just going to go jump right to the end. <laughs> uh, so I graduated with a degree, with a bachelor's degree in, uh, in music, focus on um, recording. And so after that, when I started looking for these jobs at different, you know, recording studios or um, could be anything, right? TV production, um, radio production, things, things like that. Um, however, that I was completely unsuccessful. And, and to be honest, my um, audio skills were not necessarily, I was starting to find out as marketable as I originally thought they would be. And also based on the information I received about there being ample opportunities. Uh, from there, I pretty well, uh, this was this was pretty much at the time after the, just after 2008 crash, uh, the housing market. Um, during my university years, about halfway through, they were like, university is not the thing anymore, college is. And in Canada, that's like a two-year program way cheaper, <laughs> way cheaper. And they're like, yeah, you definitely don't want to go to university now. I was like, oh man, do I just like, I'm almost done this one. Do I, do I keep going? Do I just drop out? I was eating my sub at Subway. I remember the time very specifically. Um, so <clears throat> I decided to keep going because like, you know, hell, I'm no quitter, <laughs> right? I'm just going to keep pushing. So yeah, I did. And um, eventually, I wasn't able to get anything in audio, right? I worked at a gaming studio on, uh, I think it was Madden 13 um, on the Wii, <laughs> doing some <laughs> audio stuff there, editing some samples for that. And also, and I was like paid, I don't know, I think it was like, 11 to 12 bucks an hour for a $40,000 degree, um, which is just like insanity. Um, and then similarly as well, I worked at a radio station part-time for a bit. And I had these odd jobs, right? Uh, 11 to 12 bucks an hour. Sure, it was above minimum wage at the time, but it wasn't going to pay off all that debt. Um, so eventually, you know, that debt was rather crippling. And... Um, I ended up, you know, these jobs were short jobs, contracts, wasn't really good. And I ended up really down on my luck. And I also worked at call centers. Um, you know, thank you for calling PC Plus Points. This is Lily speaking. How may I help you today? Uh, that was, that was crazy. <laughs> um, and yeah, then I ended up being down on my luck at one point where I ended up on a government assistance program because I had no opportunities. Those kind of like 
really just dried up for me. So everything was pretty much, you know, rock, rock bottom. There, there's no income. There's no um, prospects, uh, nothing. But then the, uh, you know, since your student loans go to uh, the federal government, um, doesn't, doesn't matter, right? There's no claiming bankruptcy at this point, right, for, for students, um, which kind of put me in a really hard, uh, hard position being so destitute. I used to wash, I used to live in an attic. At one point, I washed my clothes with my feet in the shower <laughs> and ate TV dinners uh, and egos. And that was all I could afford. <laughs> and there were times where I had to like sell my um, grandmother pet passed away and I had to sell my washer and dryer to fix my car so I can get to my minimum wage job, which I could barely afford to do. So what I'm trying to do is set the basis. Like I was pretty destitute um, at that point. Um, but I'll tell you where the turning point was. The turning point uh, was when I was working at one of these call centers. I had met my um, husband, which I'm with now, right? My common law partner, who I call him my husband. We might as well be anyway. Um, and, you know, I started getting, seeing these DEF CON YouTube Defcon YouTube, and I kept seeing how cool these hackers were, and I was like, "Wow, you know." And I had this, you know, I would use Linux and play around with Linux. That was so fun. And I was like, "You really think I could learn to do any of that?" I highly doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I attempted to, you know, since there was no opportunities, right, that I could that I knew of at the time. I just took all kinds of online Udemy courses because, and then I just started getting addicted to learning about it because, well, these Udemy courses was all I could really afford as far as like learning, right? Um, for learning. So, yeah, I jumped into that and. Yeah, I wanted to start my own pen testing company for small, smaller businesses because I thought, well, you know, smaller businesses, you know, those those guys need some help too. And, you know, that did not go over well, but I did learn a lot during that process. Um, I'm not a good salesperson. I couldn't sell, sell anything to, to anyone, <laughs> in all honesty. Um, but... You know, once that settled in or, you know, I did end up going to a cybersecurity meetup in my local area in Halifax called the, um, um, called HASC. It's like a, I, I don't think it's uh, going currently today, but at the time I met um, some key, uh, key people. So I did meet Travis Barlow, who runs uh, or is on the board for the Atlanta Security Conference, the one that we met at, right? Um, so from there, um, you know, I started trying to showcase some of my skills and 
people were interested enough that I ended up getting hired at a local company. Well, not a local company, but a company uh, called GoSecure. And then I moved uh, into that. Um, and that's kind of how I started getting into, into SAR. That's a long-winded story. Um, so I think, you know, it was a combination of being inspired, right? I think we talked about this before we started recording, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Being inspired by seeing these people at DEF CON doing cool stuff that I felt like, you know, I'll never be able to do that, but I'm going to try, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, then getting there. But that's kind of how I got my foot in the door is through uh, going to these meetups and practicing and, and watching these videos and, you know, just constantly trying, right, to, to push myself forward uh, in that direction because I it, it, it rekindled that interest for me in computers when, right, it, I, I thought computers were just done, done for me, right? And, and as well, of course, I had some, some help pushing me in the direction of computers by um, usually when you're on assistance programs, they'll assign you something called a caseworker. She said, no, this is kind of a decent industry. Maybe just try again, but just on your own. So, you know, there's, you know, I like to go back and say, hey, thank you so much for the help making me, you know, feel more confident and uh, say thank you. But there's, <laughs> I can't even remember her name. But uh, yeah, okay. I think I like talked a whole lot there, um, but that's <laughs> how I ended up getting into cyber, at least at least to start, uh, get my foot in the door. Well, that's good, and, and details are good. Sometimes, if if we don't explain stuff enough, then people miss out on some important elements, and and very encouraging that where you were just kind of in a bad place, and you're able to come back from it because it seems like at times that's the most difficult times is when you're going through those tough times like that to keep pushing when you know you have to do that but you know those are very difficult times and uh you know i'm sure there's probably some listeners out there that are they're listening this now that may be going through a tough time and and just kind of seeing how someone like yourself pushed through it and and overcame is uh very inspiring well, yeah, I, I'm glad it's, you know, inspiring for others. Um, if, if that's how they feel for me, it's just, you know, just part of my, part of my life, right. Where, you know, it's, it's hard to get over. Um, but, um, so I think there's some key takeaways on things that I, I learned from all of that, you know, things that, you know, I would look at differently things I would probably do differently. Um, and I'm, I'm suspecting these are going to be some points that um, your viewers are want are going to want to hear. And I'm sure you probably learned a lot of your, a lot about yourself, kind of your limits and, and how you can push yourself further than you probably realized I would imagine. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so once you hit pretty well rock bottom. It depends where you live, right? So, so here in Canada, there's like, um, you know, the like government assistance programs, things like that to help push you back onto your feet. 
Um, it depends where you are, what, what part of the world. Sometimes there's safety nets, sometimes there's not. I was just very fortunate that was, there was some kind of safety net <laughs> or else I would have been in a whole lot of, whole lot of trouble. Um, but yeah, the things I would do differently. So I have a couple of notes here. I'm going to have a quick because So um, learning uh, that I thought, you know, it's, it's going to be linear, right? Go to university, you go take your degree, right? You get, you know, qualified, certified, whatever, for the thing that you're interested in, you come out, you get a job, you live happily ever after. Uh, that is grossly simplified, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, when, when I was young and, and less, um, I, maybe it's a bad word, cynical. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what word to use. Realistic, <laughs> maybe. Um, I, I learned that, you know, just because I had a degree in music or perhaps that maybe I'm okay at it uh, or somewhat good at it or good at it. I mean, it's subjective. You can watch my guitar playing if you like <laughs> and make your own judgment um, that I was going to make it, right? Um, but the opportunities uh, in that were so little or the competition was so high um, that the probability or the likelihood of me succeeding in that was uh, severely uh, hindered. Um, so like contract work here and there for very little pay, right? Um, so yeah, that did not end up working out for me. In hindsight, if I go back and look at it, um, I would try to find the uh, opportunities that um, increase the likelihood of me having a chance, right? So there's, you know, what's what's hot right now? Well, you know, well, at least in 2016, cyber is pretty, pretty damn hot, right? <laughs> I think it still is. And, um, and I do like computers, right? So being able to find what I'm passionate about, uh, passionate about in the opportunities that are out there was, I think, uh, in part, part of that success, right? Um, what does the world want, right? Do I like something in that that I can excel at and can be competitive with? And, you know, that's setting a bit more of a realistic expectation for yourself about, about um, you know, the world when you, when you go into it. Um, for the most part, right? You know, it's, I, I come up, I came up feeling like, you know, oh, I finished this, so I deserve, you know, these things. But, yeah, the economy and the world's a funny place. So you know, they want, they want, and, um, you know, it, again, it depends. Um, so that was a hard pill to swallow for me growing up, <laughs> at <laughs> least in my, uh, uh, in my 20s. This was in my 20s, so from, like, let's say age 20 to age 30, you know, these were the types of realizations that I started uh, having about how the world currently works as far as, you know, where I live in Canada or, you know, I suppose it's somewhat similar in the United States, right? Um, you know, it's going to be based on, 
you know, money and, you know, the interest of, you know, where the jobs are, where the opportunities are. Is there a need, right? Cybersecurity is a big need. If you don't have it, you better get it. Um, so the other thing to uh, learning uh, during that period of my life, I would say would be having a um, healthier relationship with your failures um, or a healthy relationship for failure in general. So um, looking back at it, um, there are sometimes like I remember in school, right? You would get that math like homework or, you know, English homework, French homework, it doesn't matter what it was, right? You get it, you work on it. And there would be times that, you know, I had felt like I had no idea what I was doing, right? And then I would bring myself to tears as a kid, right? Um, looking at some of these problems and, you know, but at the end of the day, what was I you know, going back and looking at those feelings, what was I, what was I afraid of, right? What's the worst that could happen? So, yeah, I could fail the test. I could get like poor marks on the assignments, right? Um, but it instilled, it instilled this uh, sense of fear in me of um, failing. And that severely slowed me down, I would say, um, because I'd always want to, you know, succeed the first time. Right. I think that's a, it, looking back at it, that was a very unhealthy relationship with, with failure. Right. Um, and then in between the years of 20 and 30, I started to realize like, just you know, you hit rock bottom, whatever, right? I'm going to fail a lot. And it can't get any worse, right? So I learned to accept that kind of in that way. But looking back at it now, I would say I would look at it a wee bit differently. I would look at it as more so a part of a normal learning process um, as opposed to like, I hit rock bottom, it can't get any worse. <laughs> right. And that it's okay to fail. Um, because that's how that's, that's just learning, right. That's learning. And yeah. So getting away from being conditioned that failure is bad uh, and being more conditioned to like, if you fail and you pick yourself back up and you go back to it, you're enjoying, you know, what you're learning, then, you know, that's fine, right? Um, uh, the other thing I would have probably done differently as well is look into establishing a portfolio earlier. I can't tell you how much networking really helped. If I would have not went to that meetup, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today, <laughs> like at all. Um, probably not. Um, so I would say, you know, see if there's local events in your area, right. And, you know, put yourself out there a little bit and, uh, socialize with others and, uh, 
as far as uh, with the opportunities that are are out there and get into these groups, get to know people and um, yeah, just put yourself out there. It can be scary. And uh, I, I know public speaking, at least the first bit for me was just nerve wracking. Um, but, you know, eventually, eventually you get over it. And um, yeah, that's my list of life lessons from what I've learned within <laughs> the past 10 years, at least. Well, sorry, 16 years. Yeah. Very cool. Glad to see you succeed. And sometimes it's just good, good encouragement to, for others to see kind of what people go through. And one of the interesting things I find about failing sometimes is sometimes you fail, you end up in such a better position than where you would have been. Yeah. You, know, you find you get to discover something you really like. You think this other was the, the end all be all, and that was what you should do. And then you find out something you like so much better. You're passionate about it and you excel. Yeah, absolutely. Be be okay with that failure, and um, if you if you enjoy it, you just keep doing it, and um, yeah, you're you're going to improve over time. And for me, as far as like a regimen's kind of concerned, you know, at that time, I would spend like whatever free time I had. If you know, if I'm not doing anything, if you're not working, if you're whatever, right? Um, if you just make the time, even if it's just like half an hour to an hour a day, just be like, I'm going to do this for a while, right? If it's creating a virtual machine, if it's uh, playing around with malware in that virtual machine, you know, even if you, you know, put that in there and it's like, I have no idea what's happening. Well, you're already being exposed to to learning about it, Right. And even if it's a half hour to an hour a day and you have time for that instead of watching, you know, an extra, you know, TV show, <laughs> right, <laughs> before bed or whatever, right, you're, you're improving it's just an incremental tiny, tiny steps. And, and that's okay, too, right? If you have a busy life, you have kids, you have, um, you know, other things going on uh, in your life in regards to family or other obligations, right? Half hour to an hour a day, I would say, put on your calendar, let it ping you once a day and be like, hey, silly, go practice, you know, the thing you're interested in that there's opportunities in, you know, that you're also passionate about. And, um, you know, if you don't get it that one day, well, you know what, it'll ping you the next day and, uh, you know, keep yourself on track with improving yourself. I think also too, like documenting this for yourself is, is also good because you can start to see your progress, right? Especially if you work on creating your own portfolio. And that's another thing I would have done differently that I suppose I didn't mention is as soon as I created a LinkedIn account, that's when people wanted to hire me. I was completely out of the link, LinkedIn game entirely, right? I just, you know, uh, printed out my resume and uh, faxed it <laughs> to people <laughs> or mailed it. <laughs> uh, not even kidding, right? Because, you know, well, I grew up in the, uh, in the 90s, right? Well, as a kid and, you know, I suppose I was semi out of, out of touch technologically on the uh, professional social networks, but 
just even posting some things that I could do, um, even if it's like, hey, look, I figured out this uh, this cool thing on my own, and um, I hope you guys like it and just post it, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, people see value in that, um, especially employers, because just looking at a resume, uh, sure, you you look at it as like, oh, okay skill boxes are checked but sometimes just being able to see what that person how that person thinks how they work how they um, approach different problems and can see that output right um, really pushes that value that you have right your value you're showcasing your value to the uh, to potential employers and and the world I guess which is, um, you know, that, that beats a resume any day in my mind. Yeah, that's some good points because sometimes some of the things you can share on your LinkedIn profile or your GitHub or some videos, that you record walkthroughs or some of the things you're working on, you know, it kind of gives you a step up on your competition because some cases they just got the LinkedIn profile or the resume and it required, would require them to come in for an interview to get to display those technical skills by some type of skills assessment, if they don't get to that point, then, you know, they're not going to have a very good chance of getting there. And, you know, it's really difficult to do even outside of, you know, the way you used to do it, fax or mailing. If you look at the way people do things nowadays, going to the job site, applying for it, there's so many cases you don't even get an interview. It's just really hard to, to get past that. Yeah, the the interview process is hard. I mean, later on in my career, it got, uh, you know, after I got laid off from my last job uh, in cyber, when I put out, I just like posted on Twitter, it's like, yo, I've been laid off. Um, And I'm sure there's more people, you know, at at times being laid off here. There's, you know, some of that going around. Uh, Market's changing. There's some consolidation and stuff happening. Um, but things are in flux, but that essentially mean there's no opportunities out there. Right. Um, but uh, I think, uh, yep, totally lost it. What were we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're just talking about how uploading your resumes to the the job sites, Uh, trying to get a job. Yeah. Yeah. So Sometimes, so so yeah, I, I learned this the hard way too, that when I started uploading resumes, sometimes you have to sign into all these different websites, right? Because everyone has their own type of platform, which is annoying on its own. Um, but sometimes, uh, depending on the size of the company, there's digital paper shredders that will, if, you're, if your resume does not contain a certain amount of keywords, it gets... Thrown out, right? <laughs> Gone. <laughs> no one sees it. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, being sure that when you're applying that, you know, reading those posts and seeing what kind of terminology that they're using, uh, words they're using, um, and trying to meet those, as well as I've seen a lot of people, um, they'll go to, apply they'll look at the list right they'll say you need wireshark experience uh, snort sarcata experience right um 
You need Python, some Python scripting experience you need, right? And these are listed as skills, right? Um, but sometimes there's like just one in there like that they're missing. Maybe they're missing Wireshark or whatever as an example. If you're missing just like a couple items, what do you have to lose by applying? Nothing. You have nothing to lose by applying, right? Um, because who knows, maybe they're a bit more desperate than you you think, right? Maybe they have it there and it's a whistlist item or like maybe they can train in it, right? So, I, you know, a lot of analytical minds will, I find, look at these lists, itemized lists of what they these employers are asking for. And if one's missing, they're like, well, well I guess I can't apply to that one. Let's have a look at the next one, which, you know, in reality is not exactly, you know, how that works. If you apply to that job anyway, and let's say you do this for, you know, let's say hundreds, thousands of employers, whatever, you're widening your probability that you're going to get a bite, right? You're just casting your line out there many more times, right? Um, if you have no job, no prospects, then, you know, you're just upping, you're, you're, you're rolling the dice eventually, hopefully, right? You're going to get a good roll and you're going to get that interview, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, that's kind of the way I kind of think of it as like a game of uh, prob probabilities. Um, you have nothing to lose by applying. What's the worst thing they can tell you? No, that's it. <laughs> There's nothing worse they can tell you. So for someone that wanted to be a malware analyst, what would you recommend as far as a learning path for that? So um, first off, I like to say everyone's learning path, if depending on how they learn, can be a little bit different. But um, the one I would recommend uh, having a look at would be to at least get some practice in. There are so many uh, open source um resources out there. So one I would recommend is, well, you can hop over to my YouTube channel off of my blog um, and check that out. I got some educational videos on there. Uh, another uh, one is Malware Analysis for Hedgehogs, uh, which is another great YouTube channel uh, by Karnston. Uh, he's really great. As well, I would recommend OA Labs, which is with Sergey. Uh, on YouTube. And he also has a Patreon as well, um, which has a bunch of more premium videos in there for learning resources. But um, this this is how I learned, right? Just just YouTube, Udemy, like, you know, as cheap as I could get it, right? And Google. <laughs> um, so, and then as well, of course, I think practicing that. So, I've had a lot of people who said, oh, I want to start analyzing malware and said, well, great. And I, you know, asked them how things are like the next year, say going to a conference, like they have security conferences. Yeah. You said you mentioned you were interested in malware analysis. Have you, uh, how's that been going? You said you, you're going to start and you're like, well, I had no idea how to get started. I said, well, did you create a virtual machine or a VM? You're like, well, no. <laughs> so what, well, VMs are literally the gateway drug to malware analysis. 
Um, so even if it's just creating one like Windows virtual machine uh, or, you know, depending on what type of malware you're looking at, for me, it was Windows uh, malware. So creating that virtual machine and, you know, finding some open source uh, resources or free resources to download malware samples. Um, so some of those would be like Malware Bazaar, um, VX Underground is another resource. Um, Any Run, which is a sandboxing service, uh, hybrid analysis, triage, and CAPE. Uh, again, more sandboxes that allow you to download certain samples uh, for free. And of course, Twitter. Um, so what I used to do is I would find some post on Twitter like, hey, look at this cool malware. I don't know what it is. And I was just like, sweet, I'm just going to take that, download it, put it in my VM and see what I can find, right? And what I ended up doing is I would quote tweet these and provide additional findings that I was able to, uh, to identify maybe the malware family or um, other interesting analysis points about the malware's behavior and document those. Uh, in a tweet. So helping out the open source community or the um, InfoSec community on Twitter, if you will. Uh, but at the same time, being able to take that and put it into your portfolio um, uh, so that you can use that as well for, you know, making sure that people can see, you know, your progress and, you know, the value that you bring to the table uh, in your analysis. Uh, with your particular sets of skills. Um, so I would say um, I, I kind of took this two-pronged approach to it, right? Where you're helping um, the community, but you're also in turn helping yourself building your own portfolio as well as your own skills. So it's pretty well a win-win for both you as well as the community that's out there. Great advice. We're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there anything you'd like to share before we end? Oh, <laughs> yes. Don't look at failure like uh, the end. Um, take a different approach to failure and learn to train yourself to 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 accept it and uh, accept it as part of the process. And I think you know that will push anyone a bit. A bit further ahead, um, and yeah, stay determined. And I hope to see you on my Twitch streams as well as YouTube, or my blog, or wherever else. And yeah, thank you very much for having me, Phil. And uh, pretty cool podcast you got going on here. Thanks, thanks for joining. It was an honor to have you on the show. I was super impressed when we met at the conference and it was good to have you on sharing your advice for others. So thank, thanks so much for joining. Absolutely. Thanks. And for when, for everyone listening, we'll be sharing the links to her blog, uh, social media, YouTube, and Twitch. So thanks. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Philip Wiley show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, to learn more about Philip, go to thehackermaker.com and connect with him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Philip Wiley. Until next time.